Welcome to Dan Dazo the show. Monday to Friday. Independent. Current. Exciting. Subscribe and follow. 17th of July 2020 is the Friday. The week is wrapped up. OMG. Thank you, Lord. Could I have asked for more? You know what? This week has been hella. It's, it's annoying. Okay, why am I rushing into this? Because I'm supposed to do this first. This came to mind on Dan Dazo the show. Uh, I'm a skater. I'm a skater and I'm a budding one at it. I'm not uh, someone who is a pro, new to the game. But as I said, when you're engrossed with something and you're fully immersed in something, other players who have a similar interest start popping up out of, out of the woodwork. And so I'm making new connects both virtually, meaning online, uh, from the skater or skateboarding community. But where it hits home the most is in the real time, in my hood, in my neighborhood, and in all the neighborhoods that I zigzag on my skateboard kind of situation where Oaks will just uh, approach me. Firstly, the, the young ones love it. They're just like, ah, skateboard, yes, do it, show us, show us what you can do. So that's what came to mind. The skateboarding thing, the one-upmanship that takes place, it's skaters are so fiercely competitive. I had thought that uh, skating, for me, it still is actually an individual exercise. It's something that I do because I want to be good at something and I'm gauging my own performance and tracking and monitoring my progress. And you are part of that journey because you can see all of that at standards underscore RSA, um, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok, Heck, wherever you find me on the socials, and obviously now newly on the YouTube channel, where you'll be getting a weekly update of all the progress that I'm making incrementally on my board. What? 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 When you're good at something or anything, do, do you do you need to compete? The biggest allure to be to skateboarding is the individual individual nature of it all. While it can be played in a group setup, while you can get together and be skate skaters, but your own progress really is solely on you. How much time you devote to being on a skateboard, um, what tricks you're trying to crack, and the feel you're getting for your own skateboard. Because not, not all skateboards are the same, right? Others are, long, are into longboarding, others are into these penny boards, and, and, and it goes on. But, for example, now I was just uh, busy shooting a video here trying to do an ollie, and then a fellow skater comes through, and he's like, step aside. Firstly, I don't know the guy's name. Let's say I don't even know his name. I don't know who he's from, where he's from. And he's just like, let me see this skateboard of yours. Looks fresh to death. And then he starts doing his thing. And I'm there, obviously, in awe. I'm like, yes, yes. So, so I've been, yeah, yeah, he, 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 he showed me flames. I'm humbled. But I just want to get to that. I want to understand this. Why are we so competitive over everything? Do we need to compete? Well, here's the thing. If you're following me, and particularly for my skateboarding thing, understand this. I'm hoping that the only person you're competing with is against yourself. Meaning you're trying to improve from the last good thing you did, from the last trick that you nailed. And uh, you want to work on that and build and those little building blocks. Otherwise, you're not coming here for anything competitive because I'm not doing this to be competitive at all. All right. However, I will say, when you see yourself do something that initially you thought you would never be able to do on a skateboard, man, 
that feeling of achievement that feeling of achievement and i know i keep yapping on about skating but really it's true for anything that you might be good at even if it's painting even if it's dancing even if uh, it's preaching even if it's uh, it doesn't matter what your talent slash hobby slash area of interest is the one that you fully invest in right now man man, man. but the competition the competition aspect of it all not so like not liking it much not liking this it at all. came to mind on Dan Dazo the show. It's a Friday, and this week, because I've been fully involved with this skating thing and the show and all other aspects of my life, something else has sort of fallen on the back banner. It only hit me today when I was walking around looking. At, I felt I'm feel, I still am feeling fear. I'm feeling feral. I'm feeling like I'm connected to my carnal, animalistic nature. Just going around sniffing for ass. Like yes, I must fuck something. What a fuck today. You be grown-ups, <laughs> right? Um, sex is, is is important. So so that's what came to mind. I was like, today I must fuck. It's been a whole week sexless. No 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 no. At least twice a week, if you ask me, is a healthy dose of sex. Yeah, just just walking around sniffing, uh, just looking at people and, and haleling everywhere. OMG. So, so I'm arranging myself a sex hookup today. And I am suggesting that you do probably the same thing as well for yourself today. Yeah. You should. When he walks through that door, it's been a long ass day, you've prepped him some nice supper. Point him to the vagina, straight up. Babagatabo. Now Thank you. Skip his between consenting adults, okay? I'm, I'm a single man who's mingling, not with one, not with two, with a number of people. And it's, it's by choice. It's not, it's not whoring, it's just how I prefer it. It's how I prefer it. Uh, if you're with somebody, uh, at least for you that's guaranteed ass or guaranteed dick, or not quite, maybe if things have gotten a bit stayed and boring in the bedroom, then devise something so at least you get some today. Then there'll be a bit of a step and a bounce to your to your, to your walk, and uh, yeah, you'll just feel lighter and, and and freer and more plugged in going into the weekend. I promise you, because sex. <laughs> hey, fuck him! Fuck him! What? Hey, fuck him! Harder! What are some of the kinky things that you do when you are all heated up and you are really in the zone and you're in the moment? What do, what do, you, what do you say? What do you do? Let's not go down that route. So those are the things that came to mind as we get into the show and as we wrap up this week and close it on a high. Oh boy!
Turns out you're able to return a two-liter Coca-Cola bottle and get nine rand back. And uh, the details go as follows. Uh, if you're buying your Coca-Cola beverage, you will now get a nine rand deposit when uh, you return the new PET, meaning polyethylene terephthalate, whatever that is. All right. Look it up. PET. Those PET plastic bottles. Uh, the company piloted the project in the Eastern Cape in January as part of its World Without Waste initiative. Uh, these returnable bottles will now also be rolled out in the North Gauteng, Pumalanga and Limpopo after the project first began in the Eastern Cape. Their MD at Coca-Cola Beverages, Vela Pirachefalo, said that the pilot was a huge success in the province as people switched to the new bottles with, um, which they returned after use and that the bottles will be rolled out to more parts of the country over a five-year period. These bottles, they're ident identifiable by the returnable green sticker that you'll find on the front of the bottles. Therefore, you'll get your 900 rand for each bottle that you return. It's a new design which is uh, made to ensure that the PET bottles are compliant with the global standards for design, hygiene and safety. So, you're probably curious to know what happens once I've returned it. Obviously, it's going to be cleaned, it's going to be refilled and the beverage sold. The MD at Coca-Cola says that uh, when the bottle reaches its non-usable cycle, it will be recycled and repurposed for another PET cycle. Let's try this one last time. It was a tongue twister, but uh, polyethylene terephthalate. Poly polyethylene terephthalate. That's the PET plastic bottles. Good God! Justice! I've been curious to know who these retailability are. This parent company to Legit, which bought parts of Edcon. So their CEO, Norman Drizzleman, says that Edgar's gave them an opportunity to access a market they currently don't service. Um, and uh, eyebrows were raised when it was announced that retailability would be making a play for the bits of Edgar's that it wanted. With the collapse of Edcon's business rescue, and the underlying businesses were sliced and diced for sale with the Fushini Group buying Jet and the Devon-based company Retailability to buy parts of Edgar. So who is Retailability? One might ask. Well, Bruce Whitfield um, of The Money Show found out from CEO Norman Drizzleman. And uh, these are some of the things here to say there. Uh, Drizzleman saying, as a retail group, they've been around for 36 years and the first three stores were opened in 1984 by the founder and they've grown both organically and through acquisitions. Um, the legit transaction in 2017 was a good one for them and they now sit with three retail brands, Viva Canoe, Style and Legit. They have 460 stores trading in Namibia, Botswana, Lesotho, Swaziland and South Africa. And um, he went on to say that he thinks Edgar's is a strong brand. It's got many loyal customers, there is equity behind the business, which also gives them an opportunity to access a market they currently don't service. And uh, I'll be honest with you, Edgus for me never appealed, carries no appeal. Uh, it doesn't really have a signature, like it doesn't have a standalone culture that is Edgus that calls you, or at least that speaks to me. It's probably just me, but, but that's that. But good to know that, good to know who retailability are. And, um, yeah, just adding on to that, it's, it's good because this means that uh, with more interested buyers for some of these Edcon uh, stores, 
they are able to dodge liquidation and therefore more people those whose jobs are on the line they still have, will have a job at least yeah uh adcons sale of jet and edgis the insolvent fashion group's two key assets disproves the general perception that business rescue typically fails the practice was introduced in South Africa in May 2011 under the Companies Act and often leads to liquidation. Once South Africa's largest, uh, once South Africa's largest uh, fashion retailer, the embattled Edcon Group was placed in business rescue at the end of April after it incurred uh, 2 billion rands in COVID-induced sales losses and could no longer pay its debts. And Edcon owes uh, suppliers, landlords and other creditors about 6.7 billion rands. Industry players didn't expect there to be much interest among major suitors in salvaging Edcon's business. But uh, earlier this week, the Poshini Group emerged as a successful bidder for the bulk of jet stores. Um, the TFG deal follows last week's announcement that the Retailability Apparel Group who are the owners of the legit brand they're buying a number of uh, edgar's stores and tfg's 480 million rand cash offer to acquire 371 uh, of uh, the existing 472 jet stores will enable the retailer to vie for a larger slice of sa's lucrative value fashion segment okay that's brilliant but of course most critically is the fact that the deal is uh, going to save the jobs of thousands of the 17,000 permanent staff that Edcon currently employs and I suppose for me that's uh, an uptick that's a that's a good thing that's the, that's a takeaway yeah um do you I don't know I don't follow the celebrities I I'm so disconnected when it comes to like celebrities and uh, their lives and what's going on I follow none of the celebrities uh, I don't like the idea of living vicariously through someone else. It just doesn't speak to me. I, you as a person, you decide who you are and then you live your life, not through someone else. Do you want to just be that guy who came, hoped and wished to live a certain life and then off you die? Why aren't you using the opportunity to every day delve into those aspects, of, those aspects that you've decided to make up you and then live your life through you? But if you are a fanatic of Bolang Matebas, uh, she's diving back to the SABC One, the channel that introduced her uh, to South Africa over just 10 years ago. Um, she's promising to take us into the new chapter in her career as she conquers the global market in her new Tokyo series, a very Bonang year next month, Women's Month. Uh, La Bonza, as she's affectionately known for, to her fans, she told some publication yesterday that it was very important to take it back where it all started and she became a superstar after presenting the music show live on the cbs one in 2007. what better way to share my global expansion other than with those who were with me when i started she says she went on to say as i venture internationally i naturally wanted to share it with as many people as possible and cbs one has the highest viewership in the country so for me it was an obvious choice when wanting to share this special project so you know now so now you know Uh, she's had a, success, a successful run with it with DSTV, hey? I mean, uh, three seasons. Uh, that means she was delivering on the viewership side of things, uh, which would be the only reason why, not once, not twice, but three times. Uh, the show, the, the, that, that Ding Bonang uh, reality show of hers got billed. So she claims now that the two-part special is going to be more serious than just popping champagne. And uh, when the show premieres on the 1st of August, you as a viewer will be taken behind the scenes on Mateba's business dealings in Prague, in London, in Manchester, in New York, and Los Angeles. 
better yet, why not if you work on a way of going to Prague, London, Manchester, New York, and Los Angeles? Eh? That is reality care for you now, young John. Uh, oh boy. What else is going down here that's before us? Ellie Golden. Good girl. I've not heard from her or about her in a little while. In a bit, actually. Ellie Golden. She's claiming that she does love her husband, Casper Jopling, but enjoys living apart from him. That is good. That's someone who has found herself. There's people who just lose themselves in relationships. Like, you go into a relationship and... Yeah, I live for you, I'll die for you. What? Oh, I'm incomplete without him. He completes me. What fuckery, what bullshit, what nonsense is that? At what point do we elevate humans to such a level eh? where you lose your own uniqueness and uh, your individuality? You aren't, uh, you aren't you anymore without this next person. Really? So Ellie Golding is saying that even when you're married, don't lose your individuality. So I, power to you, woman. She, is, she resides in London whilst her husband remains at their Oxford home to continue his studies. And Ellie enjoys not having to be with her spouse 24-7. I'd lose my marbles. Me, as a person who's decided to be single, I'd lose my mind having to account to the next person for my every movement. You would know me like the back of your hand now. Like, I like the fact that I can still do things without having to consult with someone and, and, and let them know. or And not have to worry that if I'm ogling that person or if I'm flirting with that guy or flip my husband or my boyfriend uh, feeling those cheating vibes I can't so 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 big ups to you it, I think it requires tremendous commitment and focus on your part because as a human being you will still be looking around and, and you'll, you'll spot things that you like and you and some of the things you, you, you like you don't want to marry right you've chosen your husband or your wife and some of these people you just want to fuck it, it becomes a, a, a bit of a challenge for you as a person who is in a committed relationship now, doesn't it? It becomes dicey because now there's this cheat factor that uh, is following you around. I, if I feel like fucking anybody, I, I can't do that because decidedly, I live the way I do. So Ellie previously confessed, uh, confessed she knew she would marry Casper and quipped she was in such a strong and independent place when he came into her life. And uh, Ellie hasn't written any song about her marriage yet, but she confessed she may analyze her relationship in her songwriting in the future. Mm. And uh, as for living apart, she says, well, I love it. I love my husband, but I also love myself. I can read a book, I can go for a run, I can eat messily. <laughs> so it's really great that uh, you can have a partner that you don't have to be with 24-7, even when you're married. And it's great that you have a partner who's not so jealous. Okay? Doesn't want you to account for your every movement oh okay Ellie Golding thank you girl yeah man this was 22 hours ago so I'm not too sure why, how things have panned out now I'll look for an update but the cabinet was going to decide on closure of schools uh, the cabinet will decide whether schools would be closed 
Basic Minister Ejimut Sekha said this on Tuesday. And this comes after the South African Democratic Teachers Union called for the closure of schools during the COVID-19 peak season, anticipated to be reached in August and September. And the Council of Education Ministers held a meeting on Tuesday following President Cyril Ramaphosa's announcement on the reinstatement of Level 3 lockdown on Sunday. The department's spokesperson Elijah Mthanga said there were ongoing discussions in government and cabinet regarding the phased reopening of schools during the peak of the pandemic. And he said uh, one of the resolutions that the meeting was... Um, for the cabinet to, was for the cabinet to take the decision regarding the reopening of schools during the peak season. At the appropriate moment, cabinet will take a decision on the matter. Planga said one of the main reasons for the phased-in reopening of schools was to make sure the right to basic education for all children was equitably um, provided. And during levels four and five of the national lockdown, most children from the most rural and remote areas of the country, especially learners from quintiles, one to three schools not access any form of online teaching and learning and this inadvertently negatively affected these children's unfettered right to basic education it's particularly the poor who continue to be at the risk if schools do not reopen and critical in the phased reopening of schools was adherence to health safety and social distancing protocols as determined by the department of health so uh, let me see if i can get the latest here on what the decision has been then um i'll find it for you now now give me one second Listener to Tandas of the show on this Friday. Yeah. The 17th of July as we wrap things up. Um, okay, nothing as yet. Not a problem. But uh, that's that, hey? That is that. I am all for schools reopening. I'm for all for everything going back to normal. And uh, yeah, all risks are there. Everyone is well aware of it. However, life cannot hold back because there's a pandemic on the loose. Okay? Now, I'm sure you'll be like, ah, speaking like a, a person, Bele's got no child. Bele, you're such an irresponsible thing to say. Well, it's my opinion. Deal with it. If you feel different, it's also fine. Okay? Hey, boo. Uh, I've been looking for someone who can properly articulate my point about what's happening with Huawei and how the US and Trump is really just trying to stifle their business and trying to really have their knee at the neck of Huawei. <coughs> BLM people right now don't fume, okay? Um... But here's a piece by Laurie McFallon, who's uh, been able to properly encapsulate this and is it, it, it hits the nail exactly on the head as to what exactly is at play here and the power dynamics that are at play and the need for global supremacy that uh, the state is, is, is really pushing for beyond other things. Besides, besides the, the, the small claim about allowing Huawei, uh, who are a company who are under Chinese rule, which is an authoritarian state, and yeah. Anyway, in 2015, George Osborne hailed the arrival of a golden decade of Sino-British relations. For some people are cautious about getting more involved in China, we say quite the reverse, the Chancellor remarked during a high-profile trip to Beijing. We want to get more involved with China. Five years later, 
the mood has changed dramatically following Britain's U-turn on its decision to allow the Chinese firm Huawei to develop its 5G network. Although the UK government has sought to play some uh, to play down accusations that the decision was politically motivated, insisting that it was a technical decision, in reality it could scarcely be more political. After repeatedly failing to convince British intelligence services that Huawei posed a national security risk, the US decided to force the UK's hand by imposing new sanctions that cut off the company from international semiconductor supplies. And uh, we went at length on this sometime last week and the week before that. Now, this has left the UK's National Cyber Security Centre with little choice but to advise that Huawei equipment should not be used in the UK's 5G network, souring relations between London and Beijing. Washington's fears about Huawei are genuine, but beneath the rhetoric about national security lies a deeper concern that China's economic model may have the potential uh, may, may have the potential to rival the productive power of liberal capitalism and also to threaten the technological supremacy that has long underpinned US hegemony thanks to its world's leading university, military and tech sectors. And it's that need to constantly centralize power and have a sense of global control, in my opinion, that is driving this and that is at the heart of the push for the stifling of, 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 of the 5G that uh, Huawei is... Uh, at the forefront of. After Deng Xiaoping initiated China's reforms and opening up process in 1978, most Western economists assumed that China would follow the path of other former communist societies, meaning economic liberalization would be followed by political de uh, democratization and that China would join the club of liberal democracies. But not only has liberal democracy not arrived in the People's Republic, the Chinese Communist Party has developed a distinct economic model that has lifted nearly a billion people out of poverty and transformed China into one of the world's largest and most dynamic economies. And can't you appreciate that as well? Where different economies, different regions, different people, yes, certain styles of governance, while not popular maybe in a democratic and liberal environment like the states, maybe like the one that we're trying to emulate in South Africa where we're trying to we're trying to be as democratic as possible and as liberal as possible but maybe for an economy and a country like China where they've got billions a huge population uh, a number of people to take care of um, you, you sometimes you the, the, the style of governance works best for that to address their immediate challenges and needs and to get things and the balls rolling faster If Chinese people were as so opposed to this and felt like the system was uh, oppressive to them, surely at some point there would be some kind of revolt. But for as long as it still serves the majority there, the system, their system will persist. Officially called socialism with Chinese characteristics, Chinese economic model combines strategic state ownership and planning with market-orientated incentives and a one-party political system. In contrast to most Western economies, the commanding industrial heights of the economy are owned and controlled by a vast state-holding company that reports directly to China's state council. The financial system is tightly controlled and subordinated to policy objectives, and long-term planning and investment decisions are overseen by the powerful National Development and Reform Commission. Now, Huawei has become the international poster child for the success of this model. Although not a state-owned enterprise, the company has received significant support from the Chinese state, including a 30 billion rand line of credit from the China Development Bank. And thanks in part to this support, it has emerged as the unrivaled global leader in the development of 5G networks and recently overtook Samsung as the world's largest smartphone maker. Although Huawei is the first Chinese tech company to become, a, uh, to become globally dominant, it is unlikely to be the last. 
under the leadership of Xi Jinping, Beijing has made no secret of its ambition for China to achieve self-sufficiency in strategic technologies uh, such as advanced information technology, robotics, aerospace, green vehicles, and biotechnology. While the U.S. was happy to encourage China's economic development when it provided a cheap pool of labor for Western supply chains, the goal of achieving technological self-sufficiency has set alarm bells ringing in Washington. The influential think tank, the Council on Foreign Relations, has described China's plans as a real existential threat to U.S. technological leadership. While the U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer acknowledged, the, uh, acknowledged the, they pose a very, very serious challenge and strategists uh, fear that allowing China to continue with these plans could lead to the U.S. losing technological supremacy in key strategic sectors such as information technology, telecommunications and artificial intelligence along with the economic, military and geopolitical power that comes with it. For all the rhetoric about a trade war, rising tensions between the U.S. and China have never really been about trade. From the beginning, the U.S. has been concerned with preventing China's rise as a rival technological power. In the case of Huawei, the Trump administration's goal is clear, to crush one of the first Chinese tech companies to become globally competitive and prevent it from gaining a dominant position in a key infrastructure of the future. And this strategy is not without its risks and could easily backfire. By pressuring countries not to do business with Chinese firms and cutting them off from global supply chains, Washington may end up inadvertently accelerating Beijing's efforts to develop domestic capabilities in leading technologies, thus fueling the, uh, these tensions even further. And uh, while talk of a new Cold War may be overblown, it's no longer inconceivable to imagine a future where countries can use U.S. technology or Chinese technology, but not both. In the longer term, a shift in this direction could fragment or even unwind the integration of our globalized economy. It's tempting to view the UK's dilemma about Huawei as an unfortunate consequence of being caught in the crossfire between the two superpowers, but in many ways, the UK's predicament can be traced to its own domestic policy failures. And when Huawei was founded in the late 1980s, it was the UK, not China, that was a world leader in telecommunication technology. And with homegrown firms such as STC, Raycal, GEC, Marconi and uh, Ferranti, the UK was second only to the US when it came to te telecoms ingenuity. But in the following decades, successive UK governments allowed leading telecoms technology companies to be taken over and sold off to overseas firms and enthralled to free market orthodoxy. British manufacturing and industry was sacrificed in the interest of the City of London and the financial sector. While Huawei's rise is undoubtedly a story of Chinese success, it is also a story of Anglo-American decline. The global financial crisis laid bare the underlying weakness of neoliberal capitalism, but without a, without a clear alternative to take its place, the response was to double down on a broken model. And in the years since, the stagnant wages and productivity and spiraling inequality have fueled a surge of political discontent on both sides of the Atlantic. And uh, if Anglo-American capitalism was already on life support, the catastrophic handling of the coronavirus crisis in the UK and the US has administered the lethal blow. Far from being viewed as successful models to emulate, the US and the UK are increasingly turning into cautionary tales to avoid. And none of this is to say that China's variant of authoritarian capitalism is a desirable alternative or that governments should turn a blind eye to the abuses of the Chinese state. But rebuffing Chinese technology and stoking anti-China sentiment will not cure the ills of Anglo-American capitalism. The roots of these problems and therefore their solutions can instead be found much closer to home. Thank you, Laurie McFarlane, for... I could not have said it better. What a nice choice of words, what a nice way to phrase it, what a nice way to put it succinctly and clearly and... Uh, yeah, echoes exactly what I feel about what's going on and uh, Trump in particular and his move to just be 
a hurdle in the way for Huawei. And I'm hoping that they will find a way and devise means and ways to just really fully disconnect from a need from America and be a standalone 5G giant. I like it when, in my dream world, there can't be a country that has so much dominion and uh, supremacy and power and control and influence over other countries. Each country must just stand its own and uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Laurie McFarlane, an economics editor at uh, Open Democracy and a fellow at the UCL Institute of Innovation and Public Purpose on this Friday on Dandas of the Show, which you listen to Monday through Friday. And uh, we come here, fit each other's brains and uh, get to know what's going on around us. Maybe share a chuckle or two in the process and um, live here feeling like we know something. We're onto something. There's a call from the Black Sash to make the basic income grant at least 1227 a month. You'll recall that Ndio was uh, suggesting a 500 rand income grant, which of course is being argued that we are in no position to be able to finance or fund. But I'm thinking to myself, with all the money that goes wasted, that, doesn't, that never really ends up in the pockets of the people who are really in need of it. Um, I don't mind funding something that we barely are able to afford, as long as at least it lands in the pockets of the people who desperately need it. As for how it's going to affect the economy, I'm not big on handouts and, and people getting lifelines from the state because I want for there to be a development of a human being who's able to stand, there, stand on their own, create, create I want an environment where there's lots of self-starters. I want an environment where there's a spirit of enterprise, which is just uh, the most pervasive and the, the, the strongest uh, energy that we'll find around us in this country. Uh, so that people can lift themselves out of, out of abjection, out of destitution, out of impoverishment. And uh, well, while that culture is being maybe somehow started by someone somewhere somehow maybe this 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 money is that the government must then give in the form of income grant support uh, will come in handy for people who desperately need it now the basic income grant proposed by the government for unemployed people between the ages of 18 and 59 will be a significant safety net says the black sash uh, Social Development Minister Lindy Ozulu last week said the basic income grant was being considered in view of the mandate of the South African Social Security Agency um, as, well as, the, as well as that of the National Development Agency for the eradication of poverty and its causes by granting funds to civil society organizations for the purposes of carrying out projects or programs aimed at meeting development needs of poor communities. And while the COVID-19 lockdown is necessary, it has led, uh, pardon me, it has led to more job losses and retrenchments and it will take years for our economy to remedy and recover from this. So a basic income su uh, support grant for those between 18 and 59 who have little to no income will be a significant safety net, said Black Sash National Advocacy Manager Huda Abrahams Faker. She however said she, however, said that uh, the organization had not seen the department's proposal for basic, in for basic income support and that the Black Sash feels that Minister Zulu's statement did not reveal a coherent plan or budget for how and when basic in income support would be implemented and how much the value of this grant would be. The minister's response lacked detail and referred to the policy as back on the table and that it's only being considered. 
uh, just that the organization had been urging the government to roll out a basic income grant for the, of almost 20 years and the black slash has made the following recommendations to the social development minister they are saying that uh, there must be an extension to the social assistance framework to include those who are unemployed and who, are, who earn less than 52,800 rand annually, meaning 4,400 rand a month. And the value of the grant ought to be at least 1,227 rand to match the upper bound poverty line and the minimum amount needed for basic nutrition and essential goods. Um, what do you think? I mean, already there's so many billions that you're just hearing about that just vanish. So maybe your unemployed uh, neighbor, uh, yeah, maybe this might come in handy for them. I, 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 I'm, I'm all for it. While the biggest call on my part is for people to create things, make something where there was nothing before. One. One song he's heard in the last 24 hours that trust Dazo on this one. One song he's heard in the last 24 hours that must be shared with you. Welcome. Right here on Dan Dazo the show. Welcome to the show. So here's my submission this Friday, the 17th of July. And uh, in a little bit, we'll be wrapping it up. Uh, we're looking Twitter, we're talking Lamula, we're talking Soweto, we're talking, uh, let me see, Bitcoin, we're talking Titomboweni. And then we can wrap things. Oh, the SABC. Ugh, VOM. VOM. When I hear SABC, I'm just like, ugh. I don't know. Maybe it's an attitudinal thing. I, 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 just, I just think, ugh. I have no respect for anything, SABC. I'm sorry. Okay. In any case, while you're thinking about that sex that I suggested when we started the show, here's a song. Yeah, dog. You got a dick, you got a vagina, you got ass for reasons.
I was just, I was, I was thinking about why I have uh, shunned all other forms of audio entertainment, like everyone who's on radio or offering a podcast. I don't listen to any of them. I don't know. Maybe I just, feel, I, in me, I'm like that old shit. But also, I can't bring myself to listen to people who, by just listen, you hear some of these people like, you know, this person is sexually deprived. I'm frustrated. Much like, for example, I choose, for example, in a discriminatorial way, discriminatory, discrimination. I choose not to listen to people who are not physically like, or for people, people who are not active. People who don't look like they're active. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Anyways, that's my f- submission on this Friday, and I'm hoping that it has helped you to move it. Okay? Yeah, okay, awesome. Uh, oh boy. Uh, Let's start with the SABC because of VOM, because I want to just get this over and done with. It's, um, battle lines have been drawn there once more. As uh, at the SABC, as unions prepare to picket over the public broadcaster's decision to retrench about 600 employees in an allegedly flawed skills auditing process on Thursday, the unions and the SABC were locked in meetings with the Commission for Conciliation, Mediation, and Arbitration (CCMA) over the public broadcaster's Section 189 retrenchment process. And this is ahead of a planned two-day meeting next week by Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Communications. Um, um, in a statement to their members, the union said unions will attend the CCMA meeting but insist on the process standing down due to all other matters that still need to be attended to. That is, skills audit, consultation, unilateral restructuring, etc. Failing which they will have, they will then approach the labor court for an interdict. Okay. The public broadcaster has serious cash flow and revenue problems, and last year the government extended a bailout of 2.1 billion rand as part of a 3.2 billion rand bailout. The SABC served its staff members last month with a notice saying that 600 people will be retrenched in a process that is expected to start from September the 1st and it cited poor advertising sales and the movement of consumers to video and other digital platforms as the cause and the broadcaster said the shift was due to the organization not having an adequate online value proposition. But the unions, uh, the Broadcasting Electronic Media and Allied Workers Union and the Communications Workers Union, they believe the retrenchment process is flawed and they sent a letter to the broadcaster on June the 30th which said the SABC should have embarked on a process prior to issuing a Section 189 notice uh, wherein it was supposed to involve its employees on uh, a strategy and operational plan to reposition and uh, turn around the SABC. It's during that process that the SABC was supposed to seek proposals and in its Section 189 notice state why it rejected those proposals. The unions say the SABC had not investigated and considered alternatives to retrenchments. Also, at the heart of the dispute is the skills audit process, which the SABC embarked on as a part of its turnaround strategy. So we have uh, a sense of what's going on there. Nothing at the SABC is inspiring right now. From a talent perspective, as in the pool of people that they're having there, and just the quality of the content that they churn out, Yet there's all these billions that get, get pumped in there. Uh, and as a business, if they were run as a business, like a proper business, when you're not making money, do what needs to be done. And sometimes retrenchments are 
a course of action to get back on a money-making trajectory again so you don't need to be bailed out all the time not in an economy like ours where that injection that you guys received uh, could better have been utilized elsewhere in a more productive fashion uh, the less said about the SABC on my side the better the one thing I was actually hoping would not happen is starting to happen because the biggest attraction to Bitcoin for me is the fact that it's decentralized, uh, the fact that there is not much meddling as things stand by banks and the government. Uh, buyers and sellers find each other and do their thing. But now they're doing all they can to, to, to stick their nasty, dirty, filthy fingers and, 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 and uh, they're trying to reach into the crypto space with that wretched tentacles here's an example South Africa is proposing a new rule or is proposing new rules intended to regulate cryptocurrencies and they are seeking uh, alignment with FATF standards and that is a measure of control that the state is wanting to have now in the crypto, crypto space which comes as unwelcome to use by me FATF is the Financial Action Task Force by the way uh, so here in SA, there's a proposition for new rules around crypto asset service providers as uh, they seek to align regulations with standards of the FATF. Uh, the proposed rules are part of amendments to the Financial Intelligence Center Act that are up for public comment. Um, Finance Minister Tito Mboweni published those proposals in June and a report by business tech coach Sashri Govender, who is a senior associate at law firm Weber Wenzel, saying the proposals add more responsibilities to CASPs yeah uh, the crypto asset service providers uh governor says uh, the list of casps is extremely wide and will cover the majority of casp businesses operating in south africa uh, the exhaustive list reportedly includes service providers operating outside the country and the amendments if passed will see casps being treated as accountable institutions that must comply with the various regulatory requirements and obligations imposed by the financial intelligence center according to governor any such an accountable institution will have to register with the FICA and uh, the proposed amendments also state the information CASPs must maintain as well as the due diligence on customers that they must conduct. CASPs that will make the list include cryptocurrency exchanges. Businesses that offer safekeeping or administration of a crypto asset or an instrument enabling control over a crypto asset are included. Additionally, accountable institutions will have to be uh, will have to abide by all of the Financial Intelligence Center's legislative requirements. These requirements include monitoring and reporting suspicious and unusual activity on an ongoing basis. CASPs must report cash transactions of uh, 25,000 rands or above. And these amendments are seeking to empower the FIC with the authority to impose administrative penalties where there is non-compliance. Meanwhile, uh, the inclusion of CASP-related proposals in the FICA amendments suggests South Africa is now moving to implement recommendations of a 2019 consultation paper on policy proposals for crypto assets. I don't like this one bit. I don't like anything that means the power again goes back to the state and controls your activities. About what you as a buyer and what you as a seller want to do and uh, obviously they also want maybe a means to tax now another that's another thing right more money to them so that they can squander mm -hmm.
I see that um, the U.S. Senate Committee is going to vote on a bill that is going to ban TikTok. The United States Senate Committee is likely to vote next week on a bill from Republican Senator Josh Hawley that would ban federal employees from using the social media app TikTok on government-issued devices. Okay, well then, that's not a... It's, it's, it's a government device. You want to do government-related stuff. It's, it's for work purposes, right? Why should it only be extended to TikTok then? Why not just make it unable to install any app that's not that's got nothing to do with carrying out the duties for you as a senator or as a, as a, as a, as a, as a government worker? In any case, TikTok's Chinese ownership and the wide popularity among American teens have brought scrutiny from U.S. regulators and legislators. Uh, TikTok, which is owned by China's ByteDance, is known for its ability to create short videos. Uh, the company last year said about 60% of its 26.5 million monthly active users in the U.S. are aged 16 to 24. And one of the company's harshest critics, Holly, has repeatedly raised national security concerns over TikTok's handling of user data and said she was worried the company shares data with the Chinese government. For federal employees, it really is a no-brainer. It's a major security risk. Do we really want Beijing having geolocation data of all federal employees? Do we really want them having their keystrokes? Holly told reporters in March when he announced the introduction of the bill and officials in the administration of the U.S. President Donald Trump said the White House currently is studying the national security risks of such applications with actions to address the issues expected in the coming weeks. Okay. You also are aware of that hack that took place on some of the accounts of uh, big guns like Joe Biden, Barack Obama, uh, and Bill Gates uh, on Twitter, which were hit uh, in, in a major hack. Yep, the official Twitter accounts of Apple, uh, uh, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and others were hijacked on Wednesday by scammers trying to dupe people into sending cryptocurrency uh, Bitcoin in a massive hack. And the list of accounts commandeered grew. Uh, rapidly to include Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Uber, Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates, uh, Bitcoin specialty firms, and many others. Tough day for us at Twitter, said Chief Executive Jack Dorsey in a tweet. We all feel terrible that this happened. We're diagnosing and we'll share everything we can when we have a more complete understanding of exactly it is what it is that happened. Okay. Um, service providers and store owners are going to be held criminally liable if customers don't wear masks. This is just stupid. Okay. Under revised uh, lockdown regulations, it's now mandatory to wear a mask in public. However, it's not yet a criminal offense for individuals. Why should it be as well? That shit is uncomfortable. And it's my life I'm toying with if I'm not wearing one. And now you want it to also be, uh, no man. Ronald Lamula, who is the Justice and Correctional Services Minister, warned that there will be consequences if entities were prosecuted, uh, prosecuted for non-compliance around mask wearing. You will get a criminal record, and even if you are not sentenced to imprisonment and it's only a fine, even if the magistrate decides the offence and the sentence must carry on uh, on its own a fine, it will be a criminal record. Here's that clarified the honours. Here's that clarified the onus fell on service providers or compliance officers to ensure that people adhere to the rules. Ugh. Okay.
Soweto has the highest number of people who have tested positive for COVID-19 in Gauteng. Hmm. That's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. Unfortunate. Um, I think we can just end it right there. It's a Friday after all. Uh, I'm, I'm, this is wearing me down. I, I can't launch into the week with some of these stories that I'm, I'm seeing here before me. Otherwise, um, let's see you again next week. And uh, have yourself a kick-ass weekend going into the weekend. Uh, I'll be active the whole time. You can check out atsantandas underscore rsa wherever you are and uh, maybe follow there so that you can keep track with me with all the progress, the progress that I'm making on the skating and some of the new things that I'm learning along the way. Uh, otherwise, we're together. Yeah. Oh, man, oh, man. Off to go and organize myself a sex session because I must fuck going into the weekend. So if you ever elect me for president, opening line is... Is everyone here fucking? Is everyone here? Is everyone here? Yes, yes. You, you, you as well. Yeah, you at the back there as well? Okay, awesome. A fucking nation and a fucked people is a happy people. A non-sex deprived nation, a sex heavy nation is a happy nation. So this weekend, as long as you're a grown adult, hey. Welcome to Dan Dazo the show. Monday to Friday. Independent. Current. Exciting. Subscribe and follow.